And now let us once again come together in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we prepare to open our Scriptures and consult Your Word, we ask that You would be with us and to open our eyes to those lessons we have not yet learned. For though many of us have crossed over Scripture time and time again, we know that there is always more to glean, always more to enlighten us. And by Your Word, we are guided to the path in which we should take. We ask that You, Lord, be with us as we go here, and that You would teach us in the manner that You want us to learn, and so that we may continue to grow and to spread forth the Gospel, and to be ever prepared for those outside the church, so that we may have a ready defense and a sure knowledge of all that we hold and believe. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now let us turn to our Scripture reading for this evening, which comes to us from Jonah chapter 4. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Jonah chapter 4, starting with verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Thus says the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The story of Jonah is not a new one. It is one of those scriptures that uh, come up time and time again, especially from the times of our youth in Sunday school. But the importance of it is not just the lessons we learned about patience and where God delivers us, but also what it means in the grand scheme of God's providence 
especially when we consider Christ who comes in the New Testament. All of it is tied together. And there is a lot of hope and a lot of mercy. And also not a little anger, especially on the part of Jonah. But in looking at this, in the preceding three chapters, Jonah was called by God to preach to Nineveh, which was a non-believing Gentile city that was the capital of the great kingdom of Assyria. Assyria at this time was one of the great powers of the world. Indeed, later on, it would become revolutionary. Its empire would be the basis for which the Babylonians, the Greeks, and even the Romans would try to emulate. Now, in the future, it would also conquer the kingdom of Israel, when it split from Judah. And this great heathen kingdom has its capital in Nineveh. But despite all of this, God commanded Jonah to go forth and preach at this city. Instead, Jonah fled on a ship, not wanting to preach to this Gentile city. And in a storm, Jonah was thrown into the sea by the sailors, after which he was swallowed by fish and then spewed up back on land, after Jonah prayed to God. Having been released from the fish, God commanded him to once again go to Nineveh and to preach against it, saying that the city would fall in 40 days. He was to preach with the hope that they would listen and understand the word of the God which has come to them. The Assyrians of Nineveh indeed listened to Jonah, and the city did indeed repent. Now we come to this, the last chapter of Jonah. And to say that Jonah was upset that God spared the city is an understatement. Verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. In Hebrew, the words emphasize Jonah's displeasure even greater than it can be translated into English. He was not just angry. He was not just wrathful. He was displeased, but exceedingly so. If there was anger and wrath, he was a step above it, as it were. Jonah's anger and displeasure are great indeed, but his prayer to God still has reverence. It's important to note that Jonah's prayer still shows this respect towards God. Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Leaving off that last part sounds like a great prayer, praising God. And then he prays for death. We'll get to that in a minute. There are reverential tones here. He's not a non-believer. This is evident. He was called to preach, and preach he did. He preached a sermon that may be a little bit uh, not as common these days. Us preachers will have a neatly ordered set of points. Jonah just went through this study and said that it would fall in so many days. And yet God still used that. And so it came to be that the Assyrians did indeed listen. Looking back at this prayer of Jonah, despite the reverential tones, this prayer does not show a man who is pleased by God's providence. There may be times in our own lives where we are so burdened by trials and hardships that even us, we may be tempted to pray for death, much the same way Jonah has. Elijah and Job are examples of men who prayed for death in the face of torment and persecution and loss of their lands. And yet, here we have Jonah praying the same kind of prayer. But his reason is not the grim persecution, the failure, a 
or seemingly failure of ministry or the loss of all that he possesses, his reason is because God showed mercy to unbelieving Gentiles. What a reason to pray such a prayer. Jonah hoped that the people of Nineveh would reject his preaching and thus heap more judgment upon themselves. This would further explain Jonah's displeasure when Nineveh repented. They were similar to all heathen nations. They're the natural enemies of God's people. Why should they have any type of mercy? Them and all their kind have persecuted, beat down, tried to enslave unsuccessfully the Jewish people. Are they not unworthy of God's mercy? How can such people possibly be saved? And yet, it was God's will. One could argue that his anger against this heathen people was based on a justified righteous anger. He was angry that these were a heathen people and they did many sins against Israel. Yet, even though God is a God of justice, does he not also show mercy? Jonah desired his own way and in the end was ultimately angry that God's providence fulfilled a different thing. In a way, he was mad that this justice seemed to pass away. Now we understand Jonah to be a righteous man, and he does not believe that the justice of God just disappears. As we see in this prayer, you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. He knows God is a merciful God. He just didn't like how things turned out. And having no other reason, no, nothing he could argue against why Nineveh should be destroyed, he merely prays for death. Indeed, we may, reading this, feel disgust at Jonah's response and in turn hope that God would punish Jonah for his anger. Indeed, there were some kids in Sunday school class a while back who thought, reading this, thing, oh, God should have just punished Jonah. And that mindset is exactly what Jonah would have done. And so we repeat ourselves. But then we see here what God says in verse 4. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? A question we should all ask when we say something impulsive. But God deals peacefully with Jonah and asks a question that Jonah does not respond to. Merely making a shelter on the edge of the city to see if God would maybe change his mind and truly destroy Nineveh. This question that the Lord asks Jonah is also just as much a rebuke. By what right does Jonah have to be angry? The same mercy that God showed to Nineveh has been shown to the Israelites and the Judeans a great many times already. If you want a lot of examples, easily accessible, of how many times the chosen people of God fall away and come back, one only has to look at judges. But indeed, when you really think about it, just about every book in the Bible in the Old Testament, excluding the Psalms and such, have an example of the Hebrews falling away or doubting and then being rebuked, sometimes very harshly, and then brought back to the fold. So are the Israelites and Judeans more worthy of God's mercy because of the promises God has given to the great patriarchs of the Hebrew people? This means that they are more worthy? What about the promise God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18? In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Are Ruth and Rahab so easily forgotten? 
Were they not Gentiles who entered God's chosen people with believing hearts? So many times and so many places, God has shown mercy to the Gentiles, yet Jonah only thinks about the present. Indeed, this comes to mind other moments when people similar to Jonah have derailed against certain people coming into the church. And yet God has allowed it. So Jonah makes a shelter on the east side of Nineveh to see what will ultimately become the city. For even though God had spared it, perhaps things will change. Perhaps Nineveh will then reject what he had preached. And then God would destroy it. And then God instead made a plant rise and give shade to Jonah, who was pleased with it, and then it died to a worm. Jonah once again wished for death, this time because of the heat. And then we have that verse 9, which says, And God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. Now Jonah finally gives an answer. God made a situation, asked the question again, and then Jonah said, Yes, it is right for me to be angry. God has asked the same type of question, and Jonah prayed for death because of how God spared Nineveh. But this time we have that reply, and this reply shows a lot about what Jonah is thinking. Jonah is angry because of the death of the plant, which had given him comfort. Jonah had wished that the plant was spared. Already, as we explain this out and read it out loud, we see there's the comparison right there. Merciful to a plant, not merciful to a bunch of people in the city. Comparing Jonah's pity towards the plant and the desire for Nineveh's destruction, we see that contrariness of Jonah. Verses 10 through 11 say, But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? And that ends that. So, you don't even hear Jonah's response. Indeed, what response could there be? Jonah already had trouble responding to God in his last questions. Jonah had pity on a plant which did such a little thing, and yet are not people and even livestock more worthy of mercy. When this verse talks about the people who do not know their right hand from their left, he's comparing them to children. For a young child does not know his right hand from his left. Sometimes when we get older, we get confused too. But in just such a way, the people of Nineveh are spiritually like children. Are they not people to be pitied? What right does Jonah have to pity the plant? Does not God even more of a right to pity the city of Nineveh? It is not unusual to hear of some people saying, boy, the stuff that is happening today in our country and whatnot, oh, I can't wait for them to go to hell. That's not the proper response. They are a pitiable people. They do great injury. They harm us. They persecute us. And in many ways, yes, they are doing great evil. But we shouldn't just pray for their destruction. We should pray for them so that they may see the truth in light of the gospel. To recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To repent. That is our great hope. For is that not the mission we have so stated so many times before? To spread forth the gospel unceasingly, unflinchingly, loudly and clearly. And yet... We are also a beleaguered people. We also have trials. 
And it is that temptation to be rather critical. And not just critical in the sense of, oh, they did wrong, but saying things like, oh, they're all going to go to hell, so, so good for them. To feel pity for such people is very difficult. And indeed, some might say unnatural. But such is the lessons we learn from not just Jonah, but from Christ's own walk, who despite the persecutions he suffered said, forgive them, Lord, they know not what they do. Christ, in those words, treats them like children just as much. And so we see a, a comparison here. And indeed, after God says this, Jonah had no response. And that ends the chapter and the book with a reflection, an ending note on God's mercy. And that what mercy means. Ultimately, the ultimate definition of mercy is what God shows. Giving something a reprieve that is not done by merit. And so we see it. And it is a great, great lesson. This whole book was a rebuke upon the Hebrews. For God had shown mercy time and time again on them, and yet they still did evil in the sight of the Lord. So here God shows mercy on a Gentile city, which is the capital of their enemies, a great despoiler of the Jewish people, who murdered, raped, pillaged, destroyed, and yet God spared their capital city. These Gentiles listened to the judgment that God preached and turned from their wicked ways, while the Israelites ignored the prophets time and time again. It would take too long to give you a whole list of all the times they did that. And indeed, some of you may even have some verses that spring to mind already. All the way back to Moses in Egypt. All the way back to Hagar and Ishmael with Abram. It's not limited to one person. Everyone, time and time again, has done it. So it should also be noted that Jonah was no fool. In the prayer that Jonah says in verse 2, he acknowledges the aspects of God. In verse 2, which mirror those words in Exodus chapter 34, 6, which says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. So Jonah's prayer here mirrors a lot what was said in Exodus. He knows his scripture, he knows who God is, and he gives him proper reverence. He also knew that to save the ship he was on, he needed to be thrown into the sea. And once Jonah was swallowed by a fish, he prayed to God, and God did deliver him. Jonah is a God-fearing man, and he knew that his behavior was wrong. Yet, it was his dearest wish to see God pass judgment on the enemies of God's people. Yet, God showed mercy. His own bias against this people makes him willfully forget those parts of scriptures he knows so well. God does indeed show mercy to the Gentiles. So Jonah seems to be, at the surface, a very simple book. In many ways, just four chapters. Oh, that's pretty short compared to some of them. And in many ways, it is. But there are a great many lessons to be learned by this reluctant preacher of God's word. Jonah did indeed preach the word of the Lord in Nineveh, but the only thing he preached was God's judgment. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, says Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. And yet, God did use it. Mercy is the key word. 
Not just for Jonah, by the way, but for the whole Bible. Mercy. And it can be a word that is so easily forgotten as well. The glory of God is shown in so many ways, but it is in mercy that there are any members of our sinful race chosen to be saved. And that is such an important thing to recognize. God is a God of justice, yes. But in justice, He remembers mercy. What I just said was an old quote from the early days of the church. Part of an old prayer. One for comfort and peace unto the church. And it says, God, O God of justice, in your justice remember mercy. Because He does show mercy. The preaching of Jonah is then a shadow of the mercy that is to come through Jesus Christ. Indeed, Christ says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with the generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. If you want any more proof, there it is. Christ quotes directly about Jonah and what happened there. Just as Jonah was sent to preach, not only to his people, the Hebrews, but also the Gentiles, so too was Christ sent preaching to both Jew and Gentile. However, while Christ faithfully and obediently preached and suffered up to his ultimate death on the cross, Jonah was reluctant and tried to flee from God. Not only this, but one of the things the Jews resented most about Christ's teachings was that he preached to the Gentiles. In this, Jonah would have fit right in with the Jews, for he acted just as they did. This is why Christ is greater than Jonah, and how Jonah ultimately points towards Christ, and is indeed that living rebuke. It is a wonder to us how many of the Pharisees remembered Jonah when they tried to persecute Christ. Not a one. But in that same instance, Jonah knew Ezekiel, knew Exodus, was able to quote some of it in his prayer, and yet he forgets Rahab and Ruth. And so, we see that comparison. For just as God has shown mercy to a heathen Gentile city, so too does he show mercy to a sinful world by sending his son to die on the cross to bring those who are called to repentance and faith. Christ died on the cross and was put into the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Another interesting comparison. As Christ escaped death, Jonah also escaped the fish with his life. But Jonah and Christ ministered to the Hebrews and to the Gentiles, while Jonah preached judgment and hope for judgment, Christ preached hope to those who have repentance and faith, to those God has called. And to those who were chosen, everlasting life was indeed granted. While Christ also preached judgment on those who would reject him, and that did indeed happen, Christ's desire was God's will to be done, the fulfillment of God's promise to be seen and to be heard. So yes, when Christ came, a greater than Jonah is indeed here. Some comparisons indeed show themselves, and the differences starkly shown. We learn many lessons indeed from Jonah. And then in Christ, we learn more still. And we see just how layered this can all be. And not just in Jonah, but in a lot of the Old Testament. 
how grateful we should be that Christ was not like Jonah then. And that Christ showed mercy. This mercy is one of the key aspects of God which is shown from the very beginning of Scripture. God would have shown justice by killing Adam and Eve for their sin in the Garden of Eden. For those who think about why God saves some and not others, why some are to be Christians and some are doomed, let me tell you this, none of us deserve mercy. From the sin at the very beginning, if we want God to act as some would say truly fair, well, He would wipe us all out. That's the important thing about mercy. When a warden is told that he can free a certain number of prisoners, and he goes into the prison, are they all deserving to be let free? By no means. They are put in prison for a reason. In just such a way, by no merit of ours do we deserve faith. Do we deserve God working in us? Do we deserve Christ? And yet, it has been given. So just as mercy was shown right from the very beginning, so mercy has been continued to be shown. The great tapestry of Scripture is not hard to spot the mercy that continually, continually abounds. Judgment, yes, but mercy also. Justice, truly shown, absolutely, but also God's love. So in another act of mercy, God spared us the punishment of sin that we so richly deserve by sending His Son to die on the cross for it. So, justice was done, for the punishment was met out, but we were spared. We should remember James chapter 2, verse 13, which says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What an interesting Scripture passage that is but it is to show one of those key aspects of Scripture. By the end of this sermon, you will be hearing the word mercy over and over and over again. It is for good reason. Because that is what, when you read Scripture, you'll see over and over again. Maybe not necessarily a word all written out as such, but acts of mercy. Expressions of love done through mercy. You'll see justice, judgment, but oh, you will see mercy as well. Sometimes the people who, even as we read, we don't think should have it. Indeed, even when I first read Jonah, I thought, well, Jonah really should have gotten a kick in the pants or something. But that just shows even more that temptation for us to really wish of no mercy. But God was merciful even unto Jonah, unto many. Jonah wished for pity and mercy upon the plant that had given him shade. And God explains his mercy to Jonah through the use of this plant. And as we expressed earlier, Jonah is no fool. He understands. But just like when we are angry, well, when we know we're wrong, we usually just kind of sulk about it. Or at least I know I do. That's the temptation as well. We don't like to admit when we're wrong even when we absolutely know we are. Now this is not to say that this book is about how we should always suspend justice and let those who do evil go unpunished. That 
want to be very clear about that. Because those who do evil going unpunished, that's not just. But rather, this is about how mercy is also necessary for a Christian walk. Those who just remember the judgment and justice, they're called the Pharisees. They definitely remember those lessons from the Bible. They remember all the times that God had sent fire from heaven or opened up the earth and swallowed many people who sinned. But those seem to be the only ones they remember. And they forget the merciful parts. It is a temptation to go towards one extreme or another. Either we completely forget justice and say, oh, we... There should be no punishments if mercy and love abound and forget that God is also a God of justice. Or we go too much in the justice and judgment and become like the Pharisees saying, it is like this, it should always be like this. He's evil, deserves nothing but death. And everything a balance. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time for judgment, a time for mercy. How do we know what to do? How did Jonah figure out what to do? He prayed. In truth, he knew what to do from the very beginning, but every time something needed to be done, he prayed about it. For the foolishness of Jonah was that he did not wish to follow what God told him to do, but God never stopped talking to him. God always spoke to Jonah after he prayed. And Jonah prayed to God when he was in the fish, and was spit out, and told once more to go to Nineveh. And here in our chapter, Jonah prayed to God, and God answered him as well. Despite the faults of Jonah, he knew what a Christian should do. It's to pray. So how do we know when to be merciful, when to use judgment? Why, you pray. Because God knows the answer, when we don't. And Jonah, as stubborn as he was, he prayed. And that was the right thing to do. And God answered him and gave him wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In just such a manner is both justice and mercy known to us. Fear the Lord, pray to Him, and He will give you the answers. What a comfort. Let not the lesson of Jonah be one that paralyzes us, makes us unsure how to act. Well, justice should be done, but I should be merciful. and It will be revealed to us if we go to God in prayer. And indeed, before we do anything, we should go to God in prayer. Praying to God is not our last resort. It's our first resort and our last resort and everything in between. In fact, we should do it constantly. Because God gives us comfort. He gives us the peace that passes all understanding. He guides our steps. He's a lamp unto our feet. And He makes us do what we need to do. We will stumble and fall, indeed. And that's why we repent to God. But in our actions, in our words, our thoughts, and our deeds, especially when we interact with the wider world, before we go to rash judgment angry words, or even in our own hearts, without even expressing them out loud, condemn others, we should always remember prayer in all things. And if judgment comes to them, 
We shouldn't necessarily be all celebratory, but merely say, well, thus is the judgment of God. So be it. Nineveh got destroyed in the end, by the way. It did repent for a time, but then it fell back, and then Nineveh's destroyed. And to this day, the very spot where Nineveh was is just a bunch of ruins. God did destroy it in the end. But the point is not what eventually happened. It's what happened specifically at this point, and that was mercy. And as Christ said, those men in Nineveh who repented, they'll be gathered up together again. They'll be fellowshipping with other Christians as well. How great it is then to look at all this. Then. The great history of the world is the history of God's providence. And in so doing, we shouldn't rail or say, what if, or if it only went this way, or this person would have, should have suffered more, or what have you. Instead, it should always be taken as, thus saith the Lord, Amen. So be it. And then we go forth. From the very beginning, God's first act of mercy on Adam and Eve, to the mercy of Christ, to the mercies He's shown in between, and to the mercies He'll show to us after this very day, after this very sermon, and that He continually shows us. The amount of times are numerable. And the very important ones that we should never ever forget are here in Scripture. And all this comes from just four chapters in the book of Jonah and shows how great is the mercy of God. Indeed, the word great is used many times in Jonah. If you're curious, go ahead and count them, though it may take a little bit. The great storm that came upon him, the great fish that swallowed him. And every time Nineveh is mentioned, it is called the great city. And indeed, Jonah's anger at God's mercy can be described as great as well. In the end, no matter how great the fish, no matter how great the storm, no matter how great the city, no matter how great the anger, God and His mercy are greater. And it doesn't even need to be written out. The greatness of God, the greatness of His mercy are not implicitly stated, but they are shown. Jonah shows us ourselves that there's no need. At the very end of this book, God explains himself, and then that's the end of it. The mercy is shown. And in such a fashion, there is no comparison to the majesty and mercy of God. And on these things, we should always think. Whatever the temptation living in this veil of tears may be, we have those little books such as Jonah that teach such great messages. As with all scripture. Amen. Now let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we admit that we are surrounded by trials, temptations, Indeed, anger is not an unfamiliar emotion we feel. And not just to the wider world, but to one another. And even to ourselves. And to you and your providence. And we ask that you would guide us, O oh Lord. To give us wisdom. To deal gently with us as you had dealt gently with Jonah. So that we may understand the greatness of our sin and misery time and time again. And understand what mercy is. Not just what is written in any dictionary we may pick up. But what is defined in your scripture, by how you use it and continue to use it 
and will always use it with your people. We ask that you would guide us in the manner with which we should consider judgment and mercy. And in all things, we ask that you would continually guide our hearts towards a desire for prayer. Prayer in all things. Prayer for understanding. Prayer for decision, for decisiveness. Prayer for good leadership. Prayer to lead, knowing when to. Prayer to follow, knowing when to do that as well. In all these ways, we continue on in the Christian life, constantly growing. And just as it is with a child who grows up, there are growing pains. We ask that you would ease us in this and ever continually show your mercy upon us in this way so that we may forever remember this mercy. And if anyone were to ask what it means, we know every definition under the sun and the most important one as revealed in your word. And in this, we are eternally grateful. Amen. Now,